How are we doing tonight? Y'all are fun. Y'all, y'all have a uh, good energy. Okay. Um, hey, if you if you have your Bibles with you, do me a favor. Open up to Luke chapter fifteen. Okay, Luke chapter fifteen. That's where we're gonna land tonight. Hey, Luke chapter fifteen. Yesterday uh, we ended off in John chapter three, verse seventeen. Right, in John chapter 3, verse 16 is a verse that probably a lot of us are familiar with. Right? John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 17, maybe a little bit of a lesser known verse, right? John 3, 17, Jesus says, I have come into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. And so we asked this question yesterday. We said, why do we need saving? What do we need saving from? And how, how are we saved? And this is what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about tonight is what do we need to be saved from and how are we saved? Right, we finished yesterday with uh, my buddy Nolan and Bobby up here, right? At four foot nine and six foot three, we talked about it. You're kind, it's kind of silly if you compare yourself by human standards to the people around you going, well, I'm, I'm not that bad, or she's really bad, or man, he's really far from God. He needs a savior. I understand why he needs saving and that he would be condemned or that she would be condemned, but I'm, maybe I'm not really that bad. And when we compare ourselves by human standards to the people around us, it, it becomes a little bit silly. If God's standard is perfection and he created out from a place of perfection, and God is holy, which means set apart, he's so other than, then if the standard is at the top of the Empire State Building at 1,454 feet, four foot nine and six foot three, both of them, the appropriate response is to walk up to the you must be this tall to ride sign and go, I, I can't, I, I need I, I need something outside of myself. And so John chapter three, verse 17, Jesus says, I have come into this world not to condemn it, but to save it. Save it from what and how does this saving happen? Uh, all the way back on night one, we talked about John chapter one, verse one. You remember this? Right? All the gospels are written pretty differently. That word gospel means? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Y'all, this is, it's like, it's Thursday. Hey, we only got like two more of these things. You can't hit me with a good news. You got to hit me with a boom. There it is. Okay. So John chapter one, verse one says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him and nothing was made that hasn't been made that, that he was a part of that. He, the word is who Jesus. Okay. So night one, we rooted ourselves in the fact that in the beginning, God created, which means what? That God pre-exists all time, that he, from him, all creation flows, that he himself is the author of life. He always has been, he always will be. He is completely set apart. And then, because of John chapter one, night one, we said, okay, not only was God in the beginning, but who else was in the beginning with God? Jesus. And actually it was Jesus who is the author and creator. It's through him that God uses to create the world around us. So when Jesus shows up on the scene in the New Testament, we now, Meadow Ranch would go, no, no, no. This isn't the first time we see Jesus. We saw Jesus in the beginning. 
John uses those words very intentionally. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word. He roots Jesus in the beginning. Why? Because we know that this is the greatest story ever told. And it's one single story. It's all about Jesus. And it's going to be summed up like this. God with us. And that's what we looked at night two. We said God desired to be with us. He revealed himself to us through his word. That this story, it's the greatest story ever told of not what we have to do to get to God, but what he has done to get to us. And the whole book can be summarized. God with us. He's chosen to reveal himself and he does it primarily through scripture. And then the next night on uh, Tuesday, we looked at another way that God reveals himself is through the person of Jesus. That we look at John chapter one, verse 14, and it says, the word became flesh. Who's the word? Jesus. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That God desired to be with his people so much that he sends Jesus. And we can look at Jesus and we can understand, we can behold the glory of God through the person of Jesus. And he walks and he lives this intentional life and he teaches and he performs miracles and he calls people to follow him. And he claims, as we've seen in the dramas, y'all, y'all remember Theo this morning? He was like sitting on trial right here and he's talking and, and, and they're, they're, he's going throughout it and, and very crystal clear. He says, I am the master. There's no doubt in this, right? We looked at this when we talked about Jesus, that Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a historical figure. He wasn't just some guy that lived 2,000 years ago. He made very explicit claims about himself to say, I am God. There's no mistaking that. So he is either who he said he was and he is God or he's a lunatic, he's a liar. He, you can't, there's nothing in between there. And we looked at, uh, when we talked about Jesus, we said we can either disregard Jesus we can downplay Jesus. We can kind of go like, well, we like the things that we get from him or, or he's kind of this good teacher. Or we can become disciples of Jesus. And that word disciple means learner. It means follower. And tonight what I want to look at is the explanation of John chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world but to save it. How does he save it and what do we need saving from? See, last night we talked about sin. And we've defined sin this way, any thought, word, action, or attitude that fundamentally goes against God's design for life. Remember Genesis 3? Remember when we started here? That God creates Adam and Eve in perfection, and then the, the snake being crafty, he attacks the, the, the analogies of God, and he says, did God really say? He gets them to doubt. I remember the Dominican Republic, cone, cone, cone landmine, cone, 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 landmine. Do you know what Satan does? He comes up alongside you and he goes, what do you think's in those cones? And you're like, I don't know. The master told us not to go there. He said that leads to death. Well, what if he's holding out on you? Did God really say, surely you won't die? Remember the deception that exists in Genesis chapter three and Adam and Eve, they take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They eat and they choose to make their own laws. They say, I want to be self-ruled and they start redefining good and evil. And for the rest of time, we, we now live in the wake of this sin. Remember I was telling you about Piper last night, right, going right up to the edge of where I told her not to go. And then what does she do? She looks back at me like, It's like, who taught my daughter that? 
Right? Like, who was like, okay, Piper, when your parents tell you no, here's what you're going to do. The answer is nobody, right? Nobody taught my daughter that. It's just sin nature. It's, it, every single one of us has it. It left on autopilot. We all have this sin within us. And again, we can't go, well, I'm not that bad, or he's really bad, or she's really bad, because then we just do 4963. We go, according to God, if God is the ultimate authority and we've committed cosmic treason, then he gets to define the consequence, right? Slap your sibling, you get in trouble with your parents. Slap your teacher, you get expelled. The president of the United States, $250,000 prison. What happens when you commit cosmic treason and an offense against the God of the universe? Do you know what the Bible says? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. See, sin always has a consequence. And sin, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says sin pays in death. And it's not a physical death. Hey, every single one of us is going to walk to that death at some point in our lives. It's an eternal separation because God is a God of justice. And because God is a God of justice, all sin must be paid for, either by you or by something or someone else. Sin always pays in death, and God is a God of justice. And because God is a God of justice, God has something called wrath. And here's, if you're taking notes tonight, here's what I want you to write down, okay? Write this down. God's wrath, W-R-A-T-H, God's wrath is his love in action against sin. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. Here's what I mean, okay? Um... Piper, when you, uh, when you have a kid for the first time, those parents in the house, are in, you, you'll know this already, and for y'all someday, if you ever have kids, here's a free lesson. Uh, when you have kids, you gotta take them to all these like, doctor's appointments early on, and babies cry, right? Y'all been around like a crying baby before or heard a baby cry? Y'all probably heard my baby cry this week, okay? Like, babies cry, that's just a thing. But when a baby, when a baby cries because they're hungry or they're tired, it's like one kind of cry, and then when your baby cries because they're hurt, it's an entirely different cry. And when Piper was like little, little itsy bitsy, like weeks old, I, I hadn't really heard the pain cry yet. I had just heard the, the like, uh, I'm hungry or I'm uncomfortable or I'm tired. Like I've, babies cry. It's just like a normal thing, normal part of life. But I remember we took uh, Piper to our first doctor's appointment and the doctor is like getting the needles ready and like she's getting her like uh, shots for the first time. It's just like a totally like normal procedure. But I remember sitting there and they're like, okay, you got to hold Piper down. And I'm like, I'm not good around like needles and pain. Like I'm not, like if you're into the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram seven. So I'm all about like fun and adventure. And like, I'm on vacation planning my next vacation. Like I, and anytime there's like something painful, I'm like, ah, no, thank you. Like I just, I don't like being around it. Okay. And so I was, I'm, I'm sitting here and, and my wife's like, do you want to come in? I'm like, not really. Like I don't really like doctors. I don't really like dentists. Like I don't do well in that sphere. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, like I should go in. It's my first kid. So I'm in the doctor's office and they're holding my daughter down and she's a baby and they like, they're like preparing the needles. And I'm like, oh gosh, like I'm not doing well at this point. And then the doctor takes the needles and she sticks it in Piper's thigh and she just gives her a shot. And she's like, yeah, she's going to cry a little bit. And friends, can I just be totally honest with you in that moment? I almost murdered a doctor in that moment. Okay. Here's why. Okay. Papa bear, dad, I love my little girl. And when something, when something hurts my little girl, 
my innate, like my innate reaction is like, I am going to destroy anything that hurts my baby girl because I love my baby girl. I love her. I want the best possible life for her. I want her to thrive. And so when this doctor sticks a needle into her, I was like, like, I'm gonna kill you, right? Like you just hurt my daughter. And she's sitting here on the table, like screaming her little head off going like, why did you allow this to happen to me? And I'm like, like, I just felt so much rage and so much anger going like, I want to, I want to destroy anything that hurts my baby girl. If my daughter was walking towards something painful, right? And she's walking towards like a hot stove or a fire or walking off the end of a diving board, like la da 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 da. And you just, you witnessed me just sit back and go, whatever, it's fine. None of you would be like, oh, you're such a good dad, right? No, you'd be like, you're terrible. Like, what are you doing sitting back, not taking action against the thing that's going to hurt your daughter? Does that make sense? Hey, so what does this have to do with God's wrath? God's wrath is his love in action against sin. See, God knows this. He knows that all sin leads to what? Death. Cone, cone, cone. If you go here, if you chase after this, if you make life about you, self-centeredness, selfishness, pride, all of these things, adultery, idolatry, the Ten Commandments, right? anything that you find in the Bible that God says, any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against my plan for you, I hate sin. Why do I hate sin? Because it takes the object of my love away from me. Do you know what the object of his love is? You, me. The pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. And his love in action against sin is his wrath. And so all sin must be paid for, either by you or by something else, by something outside of it. So what is John chapter 3, verse 17? Jesus comes into the world. God became flesh. And he says, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save the world. So the, the heart of God is not to condemn, but to save. But every single one of us has a sin problem. Every single one of us walks and talks and breathes day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out with a sin problem. Okay, and here's what I love about Jesus. Hey, you saw him on trial this morning, yeah? In the book of John alone, and if you look at the other gospels, you can find more, but in the book of John alone, in John chapter 12, we see Jesus anointed with oil, and he says, it's fine, this is a, prepare, a, a preparing for my burial, in John chapter 12, Jesus makes an explicit claim, I am here to die. Don't confuse this meta ranch. The Jewish leaders, the purebreds, the Romans, they didn't take Jesus by surprise. He came into the world and willingly walked towards his death. And in John chapter 12, he says, I'm being anointed for my burial. In John chapter 13, he says, where I'm going, you cannot come when he's talking to his disciples. Again, an explicit claim that he knows where he's going. He knows where he's walking. In John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk a little bit more about tomorrow. He says, I'm going to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit that will be with you in my absence. All throughout the book of John, he's preparing them for when he's walking to the cross, for when he's leaving. It didn't take him by surprise. Okay, so why? 
Why did Jesus have to die? What are we being saved from? And why do we need saving? Luke chapter 15, read this with me, okay? If you're there, say preach. Preach. Okay, here we go, ready? Okay, here's the, por- here's, the, here's the part of the night where I realize it's Thursday, okay? I realize it's been a long week. It was like a hot, sunny day today. Who got sunburned today? Mm, me too, me too, okay? So here's what I want from you. Chapel's a little bit warm. It's the end of a long day. Those seats are comfortable. Okay, so if you need to sit up right now, okay, sit up in your chair. If you've kind of slouched a little bit, if you've if you got, you got those eyelids that feel like they weigh 1,500 pounds and you're like, hmm, oh, that's nice. Hmm, I love chapel, right? This is the moment where you go, Wah. okay? Wake yourself up, sit up straight. If this is the word of God, if there's a God who always has been and always will be, and he has revealed himself to us with the single purpose of telling us that he is with us, that he desires to be with us, when we open up his word, let's do so with excitement. Can we do that? Yes? Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 15. Let's start in verse 11. Hey, Jesus, uh, he teaches in these things called parables. And a parable, it's like an analogy. It's a, it's a simple truth. It's a simple story that we can all understand that, that explains a more complicated truth. Does that make sense? So it's like a story that Jesus tells. And he's like, hey, this is going to be a relatable story that we can all go, mm, yes, to help us understand a more complicated truth. Okay, so in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus is going to talk about family dynamics. Hey, y'all have siblings? Uh-huh, here we go, okay? Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. How many? Two. two. The youngest one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Hey, pause right there, look up at me. The reason y'all didn't just lose your minds is because we aren't a first century Jewish audience. Hey, in 2022, that sentence, father, give me my share of the estate, we all kind of go, Hmm, okay. Youngest son just asks for something. In a first century Jewish context, if the youngest son would have walked up to his dad and said, give me my share of the estate, it would have been translated like this, okay? If a dad has two sons, when that dad passes away, his estate, his wealth would be divided between his two sons. Does that make sense? Okay, so if the youngest son walks up to his dad and says, give me my share of the estate now, He's basically looking his dad in the eyes and going, I wish you were dead. Like, I don't need you. I don't want relationship with you. I don't want anything to do with you. I just want your stuff. You're a wealthy man. Give me my share of the estate now. And guess what the dad does? He loves him enough to go, if that's what you want to do, I'm okay with it. Hey, this moment is bananas. But if we're not careful, we'll miss it. We just hear a younger son going, hey, give me my stuff. And you're like, "Hmm, okay, that's kind of weird. But he goes, give me my share of the estate now. I, Dad, I wish you were dead. Gnarly moment. Hey, then he says this. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 15. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which is actually whose? His dad's, right? And he sets off for a distant country. There he squanders his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay, pause right there and look up at me. 
Moment number two, if we were a first century Jewish audience that we would all go, no way. Looks at his dad. Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. He goes out and he just, he lives it up. Friends, here's the reality about sin, okay? Thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design. The younger son, like, no doubt there is sin present in his life right now. He just goes out and he just squanders all of his dad's wealth and wild living. Yeah, but here's the thing about sin. Sin is fun. If it's not, you're probably doing it wrong, okay? Like, these thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, the thing that we get to do that are against God's design, for sure, they're fun. The problem is, is it doesn't last, it doesn't fulfill, it doesn't satisfy, and he finds himself at just at rock bottom, nothing left, and he goes and he hires himself out, and they put him in a field working with pigs, and in a first century Jewish audience, there isn't a more low job than working with pigs. Pigs are unclean. They're ceremonially unclean. So the way he grew up, it would have gone against his religion, against his family, to be amongst pigs and to long to eat what they eat. Do you know what pigs eat? Scraps. It's just like the worst of the worst of the worst. And he's sitting there and he's so hungry. He's so alone that he just, he just longs to eat what the pigs are eating. Hey, keep reading with me. Verse 17. If you have a pen with you, underline this, this line right here. When he came to his senses, underline that, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Hey, pause right there. Look up at me. Y'all ever done something wrong? And then you like, you know you got caught and you're like practicing your elevator speech with your parents, right? You're like, okay, hey mom, hey dad. No, no, too eager. Hey mom, hey dad. You're like practicing what you're gonna say. This is what he's doing. He's practicing when he first sees his dad. What was his last interaction with your dad, with his dad? I wish you were, dead. wish you were dead. That's the last time he talked to his dad. He goes out, he squanders it all and now he's dragging himself home, feeling a lot of shame feeling a lot of brokenness. And he's practicing this speech that he's hoping is gonna get him back into good graces with his dad. Okay, but get this. This is where I want you to see the, the father heart that God is trying to communicate. Remember a parable? Simple truth, trying to communicate a complicated truth. God goes, do you wanna know how much I love you? This is how much I love you. Verse 17, or sorry, verse 2020. 20. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He said, this son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer to be called one of your sons. The dad just completely ignores him. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found, and so they began to celebrate. Okay, do you know what it tells me? That it says when he was a long way off, he saw him. What does that mean? It means that how many days, how many weeks, how many months went by where he sat on his front porch waiting for his boy to come home? Oh, I love this moment, friends. Don't miss this. I love this moment 
that the dad sits on his front porch and the last interaction he had with his son, his son goes, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. And he goes, I love you enough to make your own choice because forced love is not love at all. And his dad, his dad loves him. He says, I will let you walk away. I will let you leave. But my heart, I long for you to come home. And so he sits on his front porch day in and day out. And how many nights went by where the sun set and last light and dad's sitting there squinting, just hoping his boy comes home. And another night where his son doesn't come home and he goes back inside and he just goes, man, I hope it's tomorrow. I hope tomorrow's the day he comes home. I hope tomorrow's the day that he comes to his senses and realizes there is no life outside of my house. There is no life outside of relationship with me. There is no life squandered out there. And when he hits rock bottom, I hope it doesn't take him that long, but if he hits rock bottom, I hope he knows he can come home. And he sits there and he's just waiting. And then one day, the sun goes down. It's last light. This is the same like every other night, but he catches a glimpse of somebody walking over the horizon. And here's the thing about first century Jewish audience. If this man was wealthy, if he had a household, if he had an estate, if he had a calf to kill, if he had a ring to put on his finger and a, and a robe to put on him, it means he's wealthy. Wealthy old Jewish men didn't run for anybody. Like life moved at their speed. And they walked around in their heavy, long robes and everything just moved around them at their speed. But you know what he does when he sees his boy? He hikes up his robes exposes those like blistering white legs and he sprints to his boy. He just leaves it all behind. He wraps him up in a big hug. Where was he a second ago with the what? With the pigs, hey? I promise you, homie stinks, hey? I promise you he smells terrible. I promise you he hasn't brushed his teeth in God knows how long, okay? Like he smells bad, he's gross, he hasn't been home in a long time, and the dad doesn't care one bit. He says, you don't have to clean up to come to me. And remember when he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons? Guess what? He wasn't worthy to be called his son in the first place. That's not how sonship works. And he wraps him up, he puts a robe around him, he puts a ring on his finger, which would have signified, you're my son. This shows everybody around, that's my boy. He covers him with a robe, and he kills a fattened calf, and then he says these words. He says, this son of mine who was dead is now alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Okay, there's another son in this story who didn't go out. He didn't squander his father's wealth. In fact, he stayed home, and everything about him looked pretty good. But when his son comes home, or when his brother comes home and his dad forgives him, and he calls him his son again, he's pissed. Why? because he's done all the right things. But friends, this is a classic example. Older son, younger son, two brothers, this is a classic example of six foot three and four foot nine. And he goes, neither one of you were ever, ever worthy to be called the son. Both sons didn't want the father, they just wanted the father's stuff. So why does the father say, you were dead and now you're alive? And friends, can I be honest with you right here? This is where... This is where I genuinely wish you and I could just sit down. I wish we could like end chapel right here and we could just walk down to like the snack shop or the human beings deck and we could just sit down and we could grab like a smoothie or a coffee or a milkshake or whatever you want to grab and I wish we could just sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and just go, okay, so where are you at with all this? And you would sit there and maybe you would go, okay, Austin, 
I get what you're saying. Like on day one, we talked about God. On day two, the Bible. Day three, we talked about this Jesus character. Day four, you know, that there, I have this sin issue, but like, what do I do with this? And this is where we would sit down and, and we would open up my Bible together and I would just go, okay, let's just, just read over my shoulder. And for the sake of time, right, like don't, don't turn there. I just want you to stay with me in here. Hey, I, we would read my Bible and I would just go, hey, friend, in Romans chapter one, the book of Romans makes it crystal clear that there is a God and that the, the problem is not that, that with God, the problem is actually with us that he has made it crystal clear that he has revealed truth and that we have suppressed that truth. It says that there is a God that we can look around and Romans chapter one says that creation cries out that there is a creator, right? We talked about this day one. Remember the cabin in the woods? If you were just out on a hike, a walkabout, and you just found this cabin in the woods, you wouldn't be like, whoa, there must have been some gnarly storm here, and these trees fell just so, and this cabin came into being. You know, you'd go, if there is a cabin, the question is, some, who built this? Somebody designed it, and you can look around, and you can see creation cries out, there is a creator. Romans says, there is a God, we have rejected that God. And then Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, no one is good, not even one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 4963, 1,454 feet in the air at the top of the Empire State Building. Remember that yesterday? Okay, Romans 3, 23 says, we, have all, we all have a sin problem and we all fall short of the glory of God. Heaven has a, has a standard and it's perfection in every single one of us. Whether right now you find yourself stooped in sin and you know it, you know that there's this deep brokenness inside of you or you go like, I don't feel that bad, but I know, and I know if, if, if you hooked up my head to the machine that projects all my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, for sure, there are things in my life that absolutely go against God's design. Romans 3 makes it clear we all have a sin problem. Romans 6, 23, right? Th this good news kind of has some bad news to start out with, and it says the wages of sin is death. Anybody have a job in here? Any junior higher have a job? Okay, my man, what's your name? Julian, Julian? what's your job? What do you do for work? work at your mom's restaurant. Do you like do their accounting? You run their books, or what do you do, Julian? You're a busser, okay? What does your mom pay you? $20 a, $20 a day? I thought you were about to say an hour. I was like, can I work at your mom's restaurant, please? <laughs> um, $20 a day? Okay, so the wages that you're due for the job that you work is $20 a day, right? Does that make sense? So Romans 6.23 says, just like Julian works an entire day, and then he goes, hey, mom, the wages that are due to me are they're 20 bucks. This is what I've earned because of my work. Romans 6 says, this is what you've earned because of the sin present in your life. And friends, we were born into sin. Remember Piper? No one taught her that. Remember my nephews with the trucks? Mine? No one taught them that. We're born with this selfishness. We're born with this self-centeredness. And Romans 6 says, the wages of that sin, what you've earned is death. See, all sin must be paid for, either by you or something or someone outside of you has to come in and pay that penalty. And this is where the good news gets so stinking good. Romans chapter five says this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Do you remember Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 13, or sorry, John chapter 12, John chapter 13, John chapter 14, where he's saying, I'm walking to the cross, I'm going to die. Remember this morning in the drama, he gets like the big cone of shame, and then he walks out the back, and then they put him in the tomb. Hey, Jesus walked to the cross, why? To pay the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Death. So all sin must be paid for, either by you, friend, or by Jesus. And in, in the book of John, we see this march towards the cross. And we see Jesus saying, I will pay the penalty of sin, which is death. I will drink the cup of God's wrath. Remember God's wrath? It's his love in action against sin. If God is a God of justice and God has wrath, then sin must be paid for by death. And so Jesus willingly, because the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, he willingly takes that upon himself. In Romans chapter five, it says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love the way 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 puts it. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness, big churchy word that means right with him. Because of sin, we're very wrong with him. We have a sin problem. The wages of sin is what? Death. Romans 5, God goes, hey, I will take that death upon me. Why? Because I love you. And so if we were sitting and we were having a conversation, you'd go, okay, I, I get it. There's a God. I have a sin problem. Sin pays in death. And Jesus comes into the picture and says, let me take that death because I love him. And you would go, okay, so Austin, what do I, what do, I do now? And this is where we would turn in my Bible and we would open up to Romans chapter 10. And say this, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him again from the dead, see, here's the best part of the book of John and all four gospels. Remember when Jesus was, or when Theo was in this like tomb over here? The best part of the gospels, the whole reason the good news is called good news is because Jesus didn't stay dead. Hey, Jesus rose again on the third day to prove that he can make dead things alive. Friend, you and I, without Jesus, we are dead things. The wages of sin is death. We're walking towards our death, and Jesus steps in and says, I will pay that penalty on their behalf, but then he doesn't stay dead. He rises again to prove that he has power even over death. He says, death cannot hold me down. And so Romans 10 says, this is where you come in. This is where it's your decision. It's not your youth pastor's decision. It's not my decision. It's not your counselors, not your parents. Like this is where you have to come in and decide. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? This means lordship is like, it's bowing the knee and saying, God, you're in charge, not me. It's handing over the steering wheel of your life to him and saying, you're calling the shots, not me. Lordship is surrender. It's not just a belief up here. It's a lived out surrender that says, God, you're in charge, not me. I've tried living with me in charge and it doesn't go very well. And then it says, if you confess through the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you say, Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life and that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and that you resurrected to prove that you can make dead things alive. Very simply, Romans 10 says, if you do those two things, you will be saved. Simple. There's nothing you have to do. 
You don't have to clean yourself up to come. Your actions, it's not like you get to the end of your life and it's this tipping of the scales. Did you do enough good things or were you too bad? It's not about that. Jesus says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, make me Lord and trust in me that I lived, died, and resurrected for you so that you could have life and life eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not spend eternity apart from him, but shall have eternal life in him, in Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. And in just a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And, and if you want to respond to this tonight, if you want to surrender your life over to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've lived enough life on my own. I'm tired of living it on my own. I surrender to you as Lord. And I believe that your death paid the penalty for my sin and your resurrection is what gives me life. If you want to surrender your life tonight, just, just pray this prayer with me. And friends, let me just make something clear, okay? There's no magic formula there's no like exact words that you gotta say them in this order or you mess it up. No, it's just, I'm just gonna walk you through a really simple prayer and just pray a little something like this. Okay, just right now, wherever you are, just pray a little something like this. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son Jesus. God, I recognize that I am a sinner. God, that I have these thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, God, and, and I go against your design all the time. God, thank you for loving me enough to pay that penalty of death for me. God, thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he resurrected. God, and now, from this day forward, I surrender my life over to you. God, you're in charge and I believe in you, I put my trust in you. Thank you for loving me. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, if you, if you prayed that tonight with me for the very first time, okay? Not that you've done it before and you're doing it again tonight, no, if, if this is your very first time praying that prayer, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, okay? Not yet, not yet, but in just a second, I'm gonna ask you to stand up to your feet, and here's why, okay? I realize, I recognize that can be kind of a scary thing to do um, in front of your peers, but here's why I'm asking you to do it. Two reasons. Number one, we as a chapel, as your youth group, your youth pastor, your leaders, we want to celebrate with you. Just like in the prodigal son, when the father says, this son of mine has come home, he was dead and now he's alive, we believe that you just passed from eternal death, eternal separation from God into eternal life. And that, that, that gives us a reason to celebrate. So number one, by standing, we celebrate you. Number two, I just wanna set your counselors up, right? Your youth pastors for a conversation. And we're gonna have some space in this chapel afterwards. I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. But if you stand up to your feet, I just want you to look your counselors in the eye, just find them, because they wanna look at you and they wanna have a follow-up conversation with you, okay? So one, we wanna celebrate. Two, we wanna be able to have that conversation. So if you said that prayer for the very first time tonight, go ahead and stand up to your feet right now. Awesome.
Heck yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, find your counselor. Look him in the eye. Counselors be good. Youth pastors be good. Awesome. Okay, you guys can take a seat. Okay? Real quick, I want to talk to a second group of you in here tonight. Hey, if you didn't just stand to your feet, you're telling me one of two things. One, you're not ready to make that decision yet. Okay, maybe, maybe you're still wrestling with, man, I don't really know about this God thing. I don't know about this Bible thing. I don't know about Jesus. Hey, and you're not there yet. Friend, let me tell you something. That's okay. And I'm really glad you're here at camp. I'm really glad you're here at Hume. We got a couple days left of camp. My challenge to you is this. It was the same as the challenge on day one. Lean in. Go to your counselor tonight and, and talk about those doubts. Talk about those questions you still have. Hey, the worst thing you can do is not believe and just go, eh, whatever. So either you didn't stand because you, you don't believe yet, and my challenge is lean into that conversation, or you didn't stand because you've already made that decision in the past. Okay, and so I want to talk to you for a second who have already made that decision. Maybe it was at Hume, maybe it was at youth group, maybe it was in your family. You've made that decision to give your life to Jesus before, and you would call yourself a Christian. You're sitting here going, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Hey, I want to challenge you with something real quick. Hey, in the life of a believer, all throughout the Bible, hey, the first words that Jesus preaches, the first words that he says in the New Testament are repent and follow me. The first words in a sermon in the book of Acts hey, are repent and follow Jesus. See, this word repentance, it marks the life of a Christian. A follower of Jesus, the true mark of a follower of Jesus is not perfection, it's repentance. And this is what repentance means. It's a big churchy word that means to change your mind. It's like this. Repentance looks like this. If you're walking this way, you stop in your tracks, you change your mind, and you go, actually, I need to go this way. That's what repentance looks like. And so for you who are sitting here tonight who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, I'm actually going to challenge you to take a stand here in a second if, if tonight you know that you need to do a little bit of business with God. You can look back at your life over the last couple of months or maybe the last year or the last couple of years and you go, I, I would call myself a follower of Jesus, but there's some things that I need to get rid of in my life. Maybe you need to take a door off the bedroom in your room. Maybe you need to get some locks on your iPhone. Maybe you need to break up with a girl. Maybe you need to break up with a boy. Maybe you need some new friends. And you go, the friends that I have aren't pushing me closer to Jesus. If there's something that you need to repent of, you know that there's something in your life that isn't drawing you closer to Jesus, I'm gonna invite you tonight to take a stand of repentance. And I know that can be scary because you're essentially standing up saying, there is something in my life that I need to get rid of because it's keeping me from Jesus. And that can be a scary thing to do, but again, two reasons. Number one, I want to celebrate that with you because repentance is going to be a part of your life for the rest of your life as you constantly get back on track with Jesus. But number two, the Christian life was never meant to be done alone. Hey, y'all know zebras? You know, like the animal zebra, like black and white striped horse, okay? Yet there's a reason zebras travel in packs, when you see a zebra by itself in the Sahara, right, the Sahara is mostly like tan. It's a lot of like tan grass. When you see a zebra by itself, it's not going to be a zebra for very long. It's going to be dead. It's dinner for lions. 
And so there's a reason when zebras travel in packs, their stripes kind of confuse the lions, and when they're together, they're strong. Hey, the follower of Jesus was never meant, to be, never meant to do life alone. You were meant to be in a pack. Right? Your youth group, your small group, the friends around you that will challenge you, that will sharpen you, that will keep you accountable. Tonight when you stand up, you're asking your youth group, your leader, your youth pastor, hey, keep me accountable. And you better bet your bottom dollar tonight they're going to go, hey, why'd you stand? And you go, this is why I stood. This is what I need to get rid of. And then they're going to ask you follow-up questions next Tuesday and next Thursday and a month from now. They want to walk this through with you, okay? So if you're a follower of Jesus and you know that you need to do business with God, you know that there's something that you need to repent of, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. Awesome. Okay? Here's what we're going to do right now. Stay standing. Hey, if you're standing right now, what you're saying is, there's something that I need to repent of in my life. And so what I'm going to challenge you to do, for those of you that stood up and gave your life to Jesus for the very first time, okay, you, those of you that stood for that, and then those of you that are standing right now, we're going to open up this chapel for you. Okay? And I'm, this is what I'm challenging you with. If you stood, stay behind. Why? You got a lot of counselors and youth pastors that just want to have a conversation with you. Okay? And if you're at the point where you're like, man, I... I just really can't stay in this chapel anymore. Like I'm, I, I, I need to get out. Like I need to go get some fresh air. I need to go on a walk. Okay, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna ask that you leave this chapel in a discipline of silence out of respect for the people that wanna stay behind and have conversations, okay? So this chapel is yours, right? We're gonna open up a space in here to, for you to just have conversations um, with your counselors, with your youth pastors, to pray together. And if you stood tonight for the first time or if you stood for repentance, I'm gonna challenge you to stay behind. And if you don't want to stay behind, again, totally fine. Those doors are over there, but we're going to open them. I'm just going to ask that you leave in a discipline of silence. And then here's something cool. I'm just going to finish with this. If you walk out those doors and you walk out and you're like, dang, I do need to, I need to have a conversation with someone. I, I do need to do business with God. And you get like halfway down the meadow. Here's my invitation. Just turn around. Just come back. Cruise back. We're going to be hanging out in here for a while. Uh, there, there's nothing really going on in camp. I think there's like a skate night, whatever. Nothing you guys haven't experienced in Meadow. Okay, but this space is yours, and we want you to have some conversations tonight. All right? Okay? Let me pray for us, and then right when I say amen, if you want to leave, leave in a discipline of silence. If you're going to stay, this space is yours. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the victory that we experience in this chapel tonight. God, for the, the sons and daughters of yours that we got to watch go from death to life. God, what an awesome thing to celebrate. And then God, for, for your sons and daughters that have, have been your sons and daughters, God, that we are your children, but tonight we go, God, we want to get back on track. There's something we got to deal with. There's something we got to wrestle through. God, I just, I pray that these conversations be fruitful in our lives, that we would look back on this week for the rest of our lives as a pivot, as a bookmark in our life, that we were never the same, that we watched you transform us from the inside out. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.